All right, all right. Well, as you can see, we're getting uh, the stage set for a bit of an illustration. The inner children's pastor in me is coming out today, and so we're going to make the word come alive here this morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, join me in Matthew chapter 18. If you want to follow along digitally, there's a QR code on the screen. You can scan it and follow along with us today. Take some notes, read the scriptures along with us. Matthew 18, we are in episode number 33 of this collection, the King Jesus Gospel. We're exploring the things that Jesus taught, did, and invites us into that we call the gospel. It's radical, it's transformative, it's revolutionary, and it's something beautiful and wonderful that we are exploring and learning as we study the book of Matthew together. We're in Matthew 18, and uh, we're going to start in verse 21. Are you ready? Come on, are you ready? Here we go. Verse 21, it says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, uh, how often should I forgive someone, you know, who, who sins against me? Se- seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied. Seventy times seven. That's how many times. This was a kind of a, a, a local colloquialism, if you would. It's kind of like our uh, to infinity and, yeah, you would know that it's kind of this unending, ongoing Phrase 70 times seven was this ongoing, it was insinuating an ongoing amount. Verse 23, he said, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. Verse 24, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, most translations will say uh, 10,000 denarii. Uh, Denarii was a year's worth of wage. A year's worth of wage. Not a denarii, excuse me, a talent, 10,000 talents. A denarii is worth one day's wage. A talent was worth one year's wage. So when it says 10,000 talents, it's 10,000 years worth of wages. I couldn't pay that either. Come on. We were all catching up. He says he couldn't pay, so he went to his master, and, and his master order, ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay the debt. Somebody say debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and, and I will pay it. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Somebody say debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. This is the word denarii in in most translations. About a hundred denarii. A denarii, again, it's one day's wage. So a hundred days worth of wages is what was owed him. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Oh, be patient with me, and I will repay it, he pleaded. But his creditor couldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset, and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That was, that's what my heavenly father will do to you If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What a crazy story. You know, there's some things that in the Bible that I love are in there. I love love some of the things Jesus says. There are some things Jesus says that I'm like, yeah, can we like go back in time and like you erase that? Like, can we just like not have that in there? This idea that unless I forgive then my heavenly father won't be forgiving me. 
What a troublesome, tough thing. Because whether you realize it or not, and I'm sure that you have, there are moments in your life where you will definitely be in need of forgiveness. There are definitely moments in my life that I will need forgiveness. I find it interesting that the amount of money was so large, especially for the first man, it was impossible for him to pay. And in both situations, the minute you're thrown into prison, how are you making money to pay it back? Anybody notice that? Like, hey, you're going to go to prison. Well, until you can pay it back, but I can't earn money while I'm in prison. How is this going to work? That's the point. No matter the amount, when it comes to forgiveness, we are hopeless and helpless to forgive and get our debts forgiven on our own. That's the whole point. Jesus is trying to subtly let you know that no matter what you think you are owed and what you think you owe back to God, the king, at the end of the day, you won't be able to pay it anyways. You are hopeless and helpless to make that happen. It's an interesting thing. Now, some of you sitting here today, you would probably consider yourself, you know, I'm a pretty forgiving person. Like, I don't have any major grievances. I'm not like, I don't have a, a list of like, do not answer the phone when they call list. I'm pretty forgiving. I can at least send it to voicemail and then text them back because I don't really want to talk to them, but I don't want them to know that I don't want to talk to them. We're just going to kind of filter this out for a little bit. Uh, I know no, none of you have ever done that. Just some of us have done that. Now, you might, you might also be in a place where as we start talking about the subject of forgiveness, it's pretty intense for you because you've experienced some pain in your life that is, feels unforgivable, inhumane, unbelievable. And, and if you were to sit and tell your story or I were to sit and tell you my story, we would discover that there are some wounds, some events, some transgressions that just tear us apart still. And Jesus wants us to walk in a place where we can receive forgiveness. And part of receiving the forgiveness is when we recognize we also have to give forgiveness. And it's a troubling thing, but... But even for those of us who are like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I don't have any major problems, no major grievances uh, around us. Listen, before a lack of forgiveness is an action, there's an attitude in the heart. In fact, some of the attitudes in our hearts are, are seen in, in verse 28 when it talks about how quickly the man who was forgiven much, who had recognized the mercy given to him, how quickly he put out of his mind his own mercy and went to collect on the debts of others. It's a quick thing, isn't it? See, when we forget and we ignore the mercy that we've been given, we find it easy to criticize our neighbor. That's the heart, the attitude of an unforgiving person. We find it easy to judgmentally condemn gross sinners that are around us because we've forgotten about our own mercy. When we forget about our own mercy, we get an attitude where we start feeling vindictive against an enemy. We start speaking unkindly to relatives close to us. We, we're willing to reject someone who doesn't meet our social tastes. We tolerate condescending attitudes around us towards people of different ethnicity. It's not that it's our attitude, but we certainly are tolerating it around us. And we often will attack fellow Christians for practices or positions, political or otherwise, that are different than our own. It's an attitude of unforgiveness before it's ever an action that we withhold or walk in. There's an attitude issue. But the question is, how do we forgive? How do we get our minds around this understanding of giving forgiveness? How, how do we not end up like the man in this story, tormented and tortured and losing everything? How do we not end up there? How do we allow ourselves to continually remember the, the forgiveness of God so that we can give the forgiveness to others? I want to offer a few thoughts this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Number one is simply this, that forgiveness requires us to think financially. 
Somebody say, cha-ching. Go ahead. Come on, that's a lot more fun than what you were making it. Cha-ching. See, if we are going to understand forgiveness, if we're going to give it, we've got to understand it. If we're going to receive it, we really need to understand it. If we're going to believe in it, if we're going to say we are the people of God who are forgiven by God, then we probably better start with understanding forgiveness. And forgiveness requires that we think financially. Think of it like a transaction that you would occur. When you go to the gas pump, you plug in, put the gas in, you lift the handle and it begins to go. And what happens to those numbers on the pump? They quickly begin to tally up. The transaction amount is getting larger and larger and larger. You're like, oh, Lord, help me, please. Please, Jesus, come quickly. Just rapture me right now. Get me out of here. Come back, Lord. Come back, Lord. Come, right? Like, it's a transact. It's a tallying up. It's an accrual. If we're going to understand forgiveness, we need to understand that we have a tendency to tally up transgressions just like we tally up a grocery store tab. There's some broccoli. Boop. There's some orange juice. Boop. There's some popcorn. Boop. Some chicken. Boop. 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 And we're just watching the register go up and 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 up. And the tally keeps going. The cost keeps rising. And there's something there where there are transgressions and transactions that occur in our lives. And we have, a, we have a tendency to keep a record of those things, don't we? So-and-so said this. I remember when they looked at me and they did that. The, the boss who didn't treat you right when you received your severance. The teacher who always was con- condescending and not giving you a fair shake the neighbor who was always lying about their dog's remnants in your yard, the, 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 the spouse who left you, the uncle who abused you. We're just tallying these transgressions in our lives. The church people who judged you, the people who rejected you, it's just tallying up again. And, and we keep this running tally of transgressions in our lives. And what we need to understand is that if we're going to recognize what forgiveness is, we have to think financially in terms of debt and debtors. Of what is owed and what has been paid. And who's responsible to pay. When you go to a restaurant and you eat, they bring you a bill for you to pay. How many of you have ever been on the receiving end of somebody else paying for that bill? Come on. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And you make it your goal. I, you know what? I'm going to do that for somebody else. In fact, when you have it in your heart to do that, for, just let me know what restaurant you're going to. And uh, we'll join you for that. would be great. We just, just let the bill come, come, come to you. No, we, we understand this idea. And when it comes to debts and debtors, we as Americans, we understand this too. Oh, did you know that the average person in America has over ninety-eight or ninety-six thousand dollars in debt attached to their name? Just the average, average American. It's a lot of, it's a lot of debt. And, and I would love for all of my mortgage to all of a sudden not be required anymore. That would be wonderful. And when we understand debts and debts payments what is owed and what has been paid, we understand forgiveness. We are beginning to understand forgiveness. You can't think about forgiveness as a feeling. You have to think about forgiveness in terms of finances. Because when there has been a debt that has been paid, that debt is no longer attached to your name. It's been paid for. It's been absolved. It's been taken care of. And so we need to recognize that if we're going to understand forgiveness, we have to think financially to really understand forgiveness. That's why Jesus told this story about a king who had servants who owed him money and he wanted, them to, he wanted to collect what was owed to him. And why when forgiveness was extended, it was automatic that forgiveness should also be extended to others around. Forgiveness requires for us to think financially. That's why Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
He's not saying that just because you borrowed money from the bank, you should walk into the bank and pray the prayer and poof, goes your mark. Like, that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about sins, transgressions, tally marks where you're trying to keep a running tally of who owes you and who you owe. Friends, that's exhausting to try to keep a record of everyone's wrongs. And some of you are exhausted in your life. Because you're not supposed to be keeping track of those kinds of things. But we do. And we are. Forgiveness requires for us to think financially. Here's the next step in understanding and participating in forgiveness. And that's this. That forgiveness requires that we act with generous benevolence. Or we become greedy and bitter. Forgiveness, if we're thinking financially... It requires that we act and give generously with a benevolent heart or we will become bitter. We have to understand that forgiveness is for giving. Let us sink in for a minute. Forgiveness, it is for giving. Forgiveness is a gift that you give, not a payment that you demand. Can we say that again? Forgiveness is a gift that you give. It is not a payment that you demand. Forgiveness is for giving. It's a gift you give. And it's really important that we understand the link between a generous mind and forgiveness. Everything in the kingdom of God is understood through uh, uh, several lenses. But one of the important lenses to have in your mind, if you're trying to understand what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to participate in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to be a son or a daughter in God's kingdom? What what does the kingdom dynamics look like? If you want to understand following Jesus and you want to understand God, you want to understand the Bible, you want to understand God more, you need to understand giving. Uh, uh, Pastor Jack Hayford, whom I absolutely admire and adore, uh, a, a saint of all saints, a pastor to all pastors, just has personally impacted my life from a distance and even some uh, getting to sit up close and learn from him a little bit. But Pastor Jack Hayford wrote a book years ago called The Key to Everything. If you want to understand the kingdom of God, he says, you need to understand giving. And very little does he actually talk about money. He's talking about everything in the kingdom of God is accessed through a generous perspective, through the act of giving. Think about it. In order to find your life, you must give your life to the Lord. In order to receive forgiveness, Jesus said you must give forgiveness. Um, God gave us his son so that he could receive sons and daughters. It is a giving and receiving. It is a sowing and a reaping. As long as the earth remains, it will be seed and then harvest. It is a giving and a planting in order to receive and reap. It is all the kingdom of God is fit in this way. So either, even in the context of of forgiveness, you will either give or you will become greedy and embittered. Everything in the kingdom of God has to be accessed through faith. What is faith? Faith is recognizing the redemption and the affection of Jesus. And in turn, I give him my allegiance. That's my faith. I'm embodying something and I'm giving it to the Lord. I'm in faith giving my heart to Jesus. I'm giving my trust to Jesus. I'm giving my fidelity to Jesus. I'm giving him my loyalty, my love. It's a gift that I give. Everything in the kingdom of God is accessed through faith, but faith is an action of giving our allegiance to someone. Look at Proverbs 11 verse 24. It says this, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Only suffers want. In other words... You should give forgiveness, but if you withhold forgiveness, you're the one 
who suffers. Your greedy heart is causing bitter to grow, bitterness to grow. This is why Jesus said, uh, it's nearly impossible for the greedy and the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because of the amount of money that they have, but because of their heart of greed that keeps them from living generously. Either we give generously and benevolently forgiveness, which is a gift that we, because it is for, very, come on, participate, it's for, give, it's a gift that you give. And when you don't give the gift of forgiveness in return, you only suffer want. See, what happens is you're supposed to give forgiveness, but when they lied about you, it only takes a little bit of unforgiveness to do immense damage and contaminate your heart. Oh, no, no, but they're supposed to suffer. They're, it's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, but hoping the other person dies. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. It begins to contaminate us. It begins to, we begin to experience bitterness in our heart. We, we automatically start having those attitudes of unforgiveness show up in our lives where we can criticize and be rude and start acting a certain way. And we start feeling like everything is owed to us. You want to know if you have this kind of a heart? It's called entitlement. Let me know how you respond at a restaurant when you don't get the service you think you deserve. I'm not tipping them. They didn't earn that tip. What have you now done? You have, you, you a greedy. I almost said some not nice words. You a greedy son of a gun is what you are. You got greed in your heart and it is a lack of generosity. Why? Because forgiveness requires that we act in generous benevolence or we become greedy and bitter. Where are the areas in your life where you are holding on to something that you should be giving? Who, who are the relationships that should be receiving forgiveness, but instead you're withholding it and it's contaminating your life and your ability to love? You want to know what offense and bitterness is? It is love that has been tainted by pain. Love that has been tainted by pain. But that's not how God wants us to live. Matthew 10 verse 8, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely you should give. What is a gift to you ought not be charged to someone else. What has been a gift to you ought not be charged to someone else. There's a scripture um, where uh, in, in Proverbs where it says, excuse me, that God hates dishonest scales. What's he talking about? Well, in the marketplace, people would go and buy and sell and they would put something on the scale and weigh it. And based on how much it weighed, that's how much they paid. So the heavier it was, the more price it was. So people would hide weights on the scale to make it weigh more than what it really did so that they could charge people more than what they did. Why? Because it was an abuse against people and people are the most precious thing to the father in heaven he loves people they're his most precious gift this is why jesus talks about financial stewardship if you can't handle money then you're not going to handle people well that's a problem that's why jesus talked more about money in the new testament than he talked about prayer than he talked about heaven than he talked about uh, anything else other than the kingdom of god Kingdom of God was the only thing he talked about more than he talked about money. But money was the, one of the most number one things Jesus talked about. Why? Because what you do with money matters more about your heart than it does your economics. Oh, I just said a whole theological mouthful. Better go back and listen to it and ponder on it a little bit. And so Jesus, Proverbs just God hates dishonest scales. Why? Because you're charging people more than what they should be charged. Listen, listen. 
When you withhold forgiveness, you are using dishonest scales because you are charging someone for something that someone else already paid the bill for. The forgiveness you received from Jesus was the same payment that paid for their sins against you too. So when we withhold forgiveness, we are double charging someone something where a bill has already been paid. If you got charged double by our local water company in one month unjustly, you would have a fit. So would I. Water's apparently really expensive these days. Just keeps tallying up. Get out of that shower quick. I'm going to turn all the hot water off in my house, right? Quick showers. Tired paying for it, right? Tallies up. Listen, listen. Double charging people for transgressions and debts that Jesus already paid for is a problem. And that's why God says if you don't give forgiveness, you won't be able to receive forgiveness. We have to think financially. And when we start thinking financially, we begin to see that forgiveness is something that we give benevolently or we become greedy and bitter and we miss out on what the king wants to give to you. Here's point number three today. Forgiveness requires us to remember, not forget. It requires us to remember. Forgiveness, let me say it this way. Forgiveness is really an issue of faith. That's why the kingdom of God and giving it makes sense. Because every, it's a choice that you make in faith. Some of us, again, thinking financially, we give. And when we give, we're giving in faith. It's a choice we make. It's an allegiance we pledge. It's, it's a life of surrender we're giving. Everything is about giving in the kingdom of God. And so we understand these things because it is a choice well before it is ever a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice well before it ever is a feeling. And it's important to know that. Why? Because when it comes to this moment, we're all looking for feelings of forgiveness when we need to remember that forgiveness is an act of faith. And so forgiveness requires us to remember the right things instead of forget them. This is why we come to the table of the Lord to remember and not to forget. But it's not just that we need to remember what Jesus has done. That's important. We need to remember the mercy that we've given, been given to us. But we have this misnomer in our minds to where we think that we need to forgive and forget. And if you haven't forgotten it, then you haven't really forgiven Many of us have had this perspective in our, and for many years I had the same perspective. It's just not right. Nor will I say, is it biblical? In this passage, in Matthew chapter 18, the king forgives this mass of lifetimes, 10 lifetimes worth of debt. Forgives it. It doesn't say he forgot about it. The king remembered when you pay off your mortgage, when you pay off your car loan, you no longer owe on that debt because that debt has been paid for. But I guarantee it, the bank still has record of that loan going to you. It's just no longer being held against you as a note of debt to your name. Let me, let me show you two from the Bible. Can I? Good, I will. Jeremiah 31 is w really where we find this. Some of you are like, man, this guy is, I don't know what to tell you. Here we go. Jeremiah 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them, to the, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke though I was their husband, declares the Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about the covenant that God made with Israel from the very beginning and then again when they came out in Egypt. 
This covenant commitment that God has towards humanity, towards his people. It's amazing, a brilliant and wonderful covenant. And, and why is this important? Because we know that Jesus himself is the culmination, the climax, and the conclusion of God's story of redemption being told to the people of Israel. So when he talks about the covenant of old, he's just pointing to Jesus who is going to come later and finish out the covenant and give us yet again another new covenant. Look, he talks about it here in Jeremiah, starting in verse 33, he says this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, hey, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. There's that radical hospitality of God's kingdom again. They're all going to know me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the day when because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of every person who has given their allegiance to Jesus. They receive the Holy Spirit in their life. And he says, I'm going to write it on their heart. I'm going to give it to them. It's going to be in their life. It's going to be great. We're going to know each other. We're going to have relationship. There is nothing that will hinder the relationship. How do you know? Because he goes on to talk about what normally hinders relationships. The very last part of verse 34. For I, God, will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There's a, a phrase that I heard growing up in church that says that God takes your sins and when he forgives them, throws them into a sea of forgetfulness. Yeah, you heard that too. You know that's not in the Bible? Spent hours looking for that verse in the Bible this week. I was pretty confident it was in there. I asked Clayton, I asked Carrie, I asked Google. Like, it's not in there. It's a combination of two thoughts. It's a combination of one, this thought here in Jeremiah where it says he will remember their sin no more. And later in Psalms where it says that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Which is true. But all of that isn't saying that God is forgetful. You do realize that God Almighty is all-knowing, not all-forgetting. He doesn't have Alzheimer's. He isn't forgetful. He isn't absent-minded. When it says, I will remember their sin no more, it's the Hebrew word zakar, Z-A-K-A-R. And it simply means this understanding of remembering in terms of this. It refers to thinking about something or calling something back to your mind, specifically as a past fact or past event. Remembering one's own misdeeds seems metaphorically to indicate remorse, but perhaps not necessarily repentance. Pause. Unless you repent of your sins. Listen, you can't repent of something you've been trying to ignore, that you've been trying to downplay, that you've been trying to pretend like it's not that big of a deal, it didn't really happen. No, no. You have to remember in order to repent. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I sin sometime today, please forgive me for those things too. That's not repentance. That's like a get out of hell free prayer card thing. <laughs> repentance is owning and acknowledging the event. It's remembering it. Remembering, especially by Yahweh, of misdeeds or or a refusal to remember deeds may indicate this forgiveness or refusal even to forgiveness. By contrast, a refusal to remember misdeeds suggests forgiveness inasmuch as this refusal implies a decision not to take these misdeeds into account in any given relationship. So all Jeremiah is trying to say, it's not that God forgets your sins, it's that God forgives your sins. 
It's not that he doesn't remember that it happened. It's that he chooses to not hold you accountable for it because Jesus paid for it. He fully remembers it. He just chooses not to recall it to mind when you start praying. Oh, there's Susie again. I remember what she did in 1987. I can't believe she's even praying for... No, no. He doesn't recall it. He refuses to recall it to mind. He could. He just doesn't. And that's really helpful. You want to know why? Because some of you feel like you can't give forgiveness because you keep remembering the pain of the event. And you feel like I haven't given forgiveness because I remember it. That's okay. Remembering is part of forgiving. Forgiveness is different though. Jeremiah 33 verse 8, it says this, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Jeremiah 36 and verse 3, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all of the disaster that I intended to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Jeremiah 50 and verse 20, in those days and in that time declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be no none and sin in Judah and none shall be found for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. Micah 7 and verse 18 who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He doesn't retain anger because he delights in steadfast love. Acts 10.43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus can receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Romans 11.27, and this will be my covenant with them, and when I take away all of their sins. In other words, the Bible talks explicitly about forgiveness, but not really about God forgetting the sins that you did, but rather choosing not to remember them. In holding them account over you in your name. See, God chooses to not count our sins against us because he cleanses us, not because he forgets it. It's because it's been cleansed, not forgotten. Psalm 103, 10 and 13 says, He did not punish us for all our sins. He did not deal harshly with us as we deserve. That's remembering something. For, this, for his unfailing love towards us, towards those who fear him, is as great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And, and the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Forgiveness requires that we remember, not forget. We remember our sin. We remember his forgiveness. We remember I have two visible scars on my body, one on my right knee and one on my right shoulder. They are scars. They are not wounds. They used to be wounds, but they've been healed, and now they're just scars. There is a difference between a wound and a scar. A wound happened. It was an event that started. And when you take care of a wound, it can be healed and eventually become a scar. But if you don't take care of the wound, it can get infected and cause great damage. It can poison you from within. Wounds are different than scars. Scars remind us of the healing that God has done for us. I remember every event. I remember all of the details, some humorous, some not so humorous, of both of the events that caused me great injury. I remember them. I remember who drove me to the hospital. I remember who helped me. I remember uh, who was present, who wasn't present. I remember all of it. But I'm still healed from it. Are you getting this? Forgiveness isn't about forgetting. Forgiveness is about receiving healing. Healing is found in God's love and in his generosity towards us. Time does not heal all wounds. 
If you're waiting for time to pass by for your wound to heal, you're just waiting for it to continue to be infected. Time does not heal all wounds, friends. Jesus heals all wounds. He's the healer. He's the one who heals the deep pain, the deep anguish, the cuts in our lives from others. He heals them. He forgives them. He makes them right and clean. But he can't heal what we still hold on to. Let me set this up like this for a minute. We, we live in this assumption that uh, God isn't forgiveness, that God is like holding forgiveness away from us. He's holding his love and his mercy is away. No, friends, you need, you need to understand something. God's mercies are new every morning. His forgiveness is always abounding. It's always available. His love is ever present. It's always pouring out. The question isn't, is God pouring out the love and the forgiveness? The question is, are you still holding on to it or have you given it to him? Because he's pouring it out, but if you're still holding on to it on your own, you still haven't given it to him. If you want to give forgiveness to someone else, it first requires you to take the pain of the event and give it to God. You have to give it to God. And allow him to hold the wound. Allow him to hold the pain. Allow him to hold that which has held you back. Allow him to hold and heal what is yours. Because unless you give it to him, you are still embittered and being tortured. What, what happened to the man who refused forgiveness, who refused to give it and refused to, to model what the king had modeled for him? He was thrown into a prison where he was tortured and tormented. Many of you are being tortured and tormented in your life because you are continuing to remember and recall the pain, the events. Every time their name rolls across Facebook, your blood starts to boil. Every time you see them in Walmart, you walk the other way because it's just too awkward and you don't want to deal with it. You remember it. You hate Thanksgiving and dislike Christmas because you're going to have to see them again. It's still holding in your hands and until you give it to God, you're not going to find that healing and forgiveness that you need. Jack Hayford said it like this, peace of heart, mind, soul, and body can only be enjoyed when God's forgiveness is transmitted through us as fully as it has been given to us. But when we first recognize that we can give it to God, then the question isn't so much about did I release forgiveness, did I give forgiveness, is it there? The question then becomes how do I deal with the pain that remains? Friends, when you give it to God and you say and you choose to give forgiveness, you are taking it out of your hands and you are putting it in God's hands. When you give forgiveness, you are making a choice by faith not to be the judge, but to let Jesus be the judge. To let him enact justice as it's necessary and how in the world do you get love well the only way to get pure love of God back back in you to fill you is to allow it to pour over you you have to get in God's presence and you have to get in God's word you need to go to God and say God I remember Romans 5 5 says and hope does not put me to shame because God who loved me poured out his heart through the Holy Spirit of love and he's given it to me 1st John four nineteen says we love because he first loved us Romans 5 8 says but God showed us his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us Romans Romans uh, uh, 5.11 says, more than that, we rejoice that God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom him we have now received reconciliation. And we remind ourselves of what God's word is because it reminds us of what God has done. It takes time. But you have to stay in the hands of God. You have to keep getting in the presence of God. You have to keep changing your mind as it relates to the pain and the forgiveness. And you have to keep remembering that your mercy was necessary, that your debt was great, but your debt has been forgiven. And when you remember your debt, you remember it's easy to forgive your debtor. So Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the forgiveness of our sins. Colossians 1, 4, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your own flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses. Psalms 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence, but restore to me the joy of my own salvation. Let me be in your presence, O God, and let your love pour in me when the perfect love of God refills you and continues to fill you and fill you full to the measure of the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, then eventually over time, your love that was once tainted has been purified yet again. This is what forgiveness looks like. It's a choice first to give it to God. It's first a choice to give it over. And then it's a moment where you come and say, Jesus, would you heal me? Heal me from the divorce. Heal me from the rejection. Heal me from the sexual abuse. Heal me from the scrutiny and the, the words that were spoken over me as a high schooler. Forgive me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. Make me new, Lord. Purify me. When we abide in his love, we see the fullness of his love poured in our lives. Friends, the family of God, you and I, we must be people who give forgiveness freely. Freely we've received, freely we give. Scripture says in Isaiah that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Wounds are outward and visible. Bruises are inward bleeding. The price that Jesus paid was both for external transgressions done to you and those inflicted within you. The emotional bruising that you've been carrying, he can bring healing to that too. The resurrected Christ, when he appeared to his disciples, he looked at them and said, would you look at my hands and my feet and see the scars? In a perfect, healed, heavenly physique, Jesus still had scars because scars help us to remember the healing that Jesus brings. Would you stand to your feet with me? Normally, when we come to a moment like this, we'll just take a minute and reflect, but I'm going to invite you to not waste any time. On the screen is this prayer of forgiveness for yourself, but also a prayer to release forgiveness. It says this, Lord, instead of loving, I have resented certain people. And I have unforgiveness in my heart. When blank, and you name the person. Did blank, name what happened. To me, I felt and I experienced this. I choose to forgive them as you paid this debt. Forgive me for my sin of holding on to the offense. I ask you, Lord to give me the power to forgive those who have hurt me. I release them to you now. Give me the strength to pray for them, to bless them, and I want the best for them. Thank you for breaking these chains off my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Most likely, as I've been preaching, there's been an incident or a name or something that has come back in your mind. And you have the opportunity to begin by giving forgiveness. We're going to take 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and it's going to be kind of quiet. Taylor's going to play and sing. 
and with a whisper, would you begin to give forgiveness today? The script is on the screen. It's on your screen at home. Would you take a minute with your healing Jesus and begin your own healing process by releasing some forgiveness today? Let's do that. Bow your heads and if you need to look at the screen, do it. But let's take a minute. our prayer that we would encounter you and your love and your mercy. Lord, today as we've made these confessions and given these forgivenesses, Lord, would you do a work in our lives? I pray, Lord, that you would bless and keep us. You would make your face shine on us and be gracious to us. You make your countenance joyfully come in our direction as we remember that we are your beloved. And Lord, would you give us your peace? We pray that everywhere we go this week, we would be reminded that we are radically loved and completely forgiven because of you, Jesus. We ask this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, showing us what love looks like, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who lives and abides within us forever, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, you're, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.